Hey there, everyone. My name is Mike Hedman, and I am the Caring Ministries Coordinator. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church, and thanks so much for being here. During this season, it's more important than ever to connect with others. One thing we value here at LJCC is community, and whether today is your first time at LJCC or this has been your church for years, truly the best way to get connected is through our life groups. Life groups are where you can develop real and lasting friendships that go beyond the Sunday morning service. They are also the best way to be part of a smaller group of people who do life with you. If you have not already joined a life group, consider joining one this week. All of our groups are currently meeting digitally, so go to ljcc.org slash zoomgroups to find a life group that is a perfect fit for you. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you enjoy the rest of the service and have a great week. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. Welcome to worship. Uh, are you feeling the the uh, tantalizing promise of being able to get out and about now? Uh, do you sense that uh, there's a shift uh, from lockdown to breakout, and uh, uh, you're going to get out of uh, uh, this uh, mode that you've been in? But before you do that, uh, I'm asking you to stop and reflect on what you've learned. Uh, you have been thinking a lot. We've all been thinking a lot about what was behind us, what we used to do, how we used to do it. Uh, we've been complaining, perhaps. We've been moaning and groaning. We've been adjusting to all kinds of logistics that are challenging. But in the midst of that, God has been doing a work in you, a work in us. He's been showing us who we are. He's been revealing things to us about ourselves, about our families, about our work, about our culture, about the world. Don't let those lessons be lost as we pivot now uh, toward more freedom, uh, more accessibility to one another, uh, to getting out and about. Here's why. Here's why. We're going to look back and say this was a pivotal, a pivotal uh, moment uh, for us personally and for our nation to think about the things that really matter. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us as followers of Jesus that the things that really matter lead us back to him. <laughs> the things that really matter don't lead us to more consumerism, uh, more materialism. Uh, it doesn't lead us uh, to having more and doing more and filling up all of our time with no margin left for God or the people we love most. God is writing a better story in you. God is teeing you up for the next part of your life moving from whatever you were focusing on before, however good or meaningful it was, to something even better and more meaningful. He's writing a better story in you. Are you ready for it? I hope you are. But let me tell you, it, it, to say it's better uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's easier. It's going to be riskier. It's going to be more challenging. It's going to cause you to make decisions more carefully, more thoughtfully. You're going to make different priorities. You're going to order your life in ways that you'll look back and say, you know what, that came out of that time, of that two-month period when I really uh, had to change up everything I did and the way I saw it and the way I experienced it. Uh, today is Memorial Day. Uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day, but this is Memorial Day weekend. And Memorial Day stands for people who made the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, we would say we come together every time we gather for worship uh, to remember Jesus' sacrifice. God himself came into the world on a mission, and he gave his life for us, the ultimate sacrifice. 
Uh, that's profound. That's powerful. On this day, specifically in our culture, we remember those people who gave the ultimate sacrifice uh, serving the military, serving uh, not just the military, uh, but serving the nation uh, and serving everything that this nation stands for, good, right, and wrong. This nation is a shining light, and it stands for something that we all treasure and uh, value greatly, which is freedom, democracy. Uh, freedom for what? Freedom to live fully in the manner that God has created us to live. So there's where the two connect. For us, Memorial Day is honoring those who made the ultimate sacrifice, defending this nation and everything that this nation stands for. Uh, but it also connects our hearts to the hearts of God, realizing that the ultimate sacrifice that he made on our behalf becomes the template, the paradigm, for the ultimate sacrifice we make on behalf of others. I want to pause for just a moment uh, and ask you to think about people perhaps in your family and uh, your network of friends who've made the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, this is not a modeling moment uh, simply to be sad uh, for the loss of somebody dear to us, but it's, it's an important moment to remember them and why they did what they did and what it has meant for us. Uh, the name that comes to my mind of many names uh, is Mark Metherell. Uh, Mark Metherell, um, an amazing guy. I met Mark when he was in junior high. I watched him grow up. I go off to Wheaton College. I remember sitting at the lakeside at Forest Home while he was at Wheaton asking him what he wanted to do with his life. He wasn't sure. He was about 6'3", 6'4", blonde-haired, tanned perpetually, grew up in Laguna Beach, was an amazing surfer, uh, was a renaissance man, smart, funny, creative. Uh, well, next time I saw him after that, I'd moved from Newport Beach down here to La Jolla, and uh, one day after church, who walks up to me but Mark and his beautiful new bride, Sarah. And at that point, Mark was a Navy SEAL. And uh, Mark uh, died in Baghdad. Um, and Mark and Sarah had grown up in privileged homes in Orange County. They came from wealthy families. Uh, nothing was denied them. Uh, everything was possible for them. And they could have settled into a, a, a stereotypical uh, media view of what Orange County, Newport Beach, Laguna Beach looks like. But they committed themselves to serving the least and the lost, the poor. Uh, they adopted uh, a, a baby girl from Guatemala, Cora. And uh, they committed themselves to working with people who were least advantaged, denied freedom, whether that was in Orange County or, the, or anywhere in Southern California, the United States, uh, in Oaxaca, uh, working with poor and oppressed farmers, uh, as well as uh, in Iraq. So when I think of Mark, uh, I can't help but get choked up. I can't help but feel deeply the loss of, that his family experienced, that Sarah and Cora experienced. Cora is about 13 now. Uh, but when I think about Mark, I think about every kid in our church. I think about every person that we can easily take for granted that we, we certainly don't. But we look at them and we say, I'm just glad to know them. But you know that they're a work in progress, that God's writing a chapter in them. We don't know where it will go. We don't know how long uh, that work of God in them will be. We know it's forever. We just don't know how long we have them. And so what do we do in the meantime? Uh, what, what standard does Mark set for me, for everybody who knew him? Uh, it's a high standard. It's that go and do likewise from the Good Samaritan. What's God put in my hands? What's God put in my heart? What's God putting in my head? And in this next season for me, uh, I want to be asking the question, not what would Mark do, but what would the Lord have me do? And it's not going to be easier. 
it will in fact be as difficult or more than what we've been through the last couple of months for sure. And so we've been talking about perseverance as part of our mission in God. I want to talk the next, about the next part of our part in the mission of God. But I want to touch on what we talked about regarding perseverance, about persevering in the face of adversity. Uh, the Lord uses adversity to develop our character and our capacity. We don't seek adversity, but neither do we shrink from it. Mark did not have to be in Baghdad. You don't have to do the things that you're doing to love people, to care for people in difficult times. I don't know all the circumstances that are weighing you down and causing you great distraction, perhaps heartache and, or heartburn, but God knows it, and you know it, and he's there with you. And so God will use that adversity. Don't shrink from it. Seek him in it. This is the call of God and part of our, 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 our part in his mission is to lean into him, to come closer to him. And the greater the adversity, the, the, the more important it is that we lean in and pay attention to him. God uses adversity to teach us godly virtues, making us mature and complete. His sovereignty is more significant than any of our circumstances. Our circumstances might be overwhelming, but his sovereignty is bigger still, more substantial than anything else that we could experience in our circumstances. And apart from him, we are easily destabilized, not just by suffering, but also by success. It's a, it's a cliche to say how many people in affluent America have been waylaid from focusing on the most important things in life by success, not by suffering. Success often reinforces the sense that, you know, who needs God? Suffering at least causes us to say, where is God? I desperately need him. It's not to say suffering is better. It's to say that success or suffering can be distracting to us apart from God. But the big question is, what are we persevering for? What's the point of persevering? Uh, what's the point of this character and capacity God is developing in us? What is the purpose? And that's the big question. What is your purpose? We talked last week about being a disciple of Jesus is our primary purpose. And how does that play out in every aspect, every facet, every uh, dimension of our lives? What are we persevering for? We're, we're persevering to live the gospel, this good news made possible by the mission of God, embracing our identity and our role in it. That was what's so beautiful about watching a, a kid, Mark Metherell, grow up into a man, Mark Metherell, coming into his sense of identity, understanding his role in life. Mark was clear about his identity. He was a beloved child of God, highly privileged, highly gifted, to whom much is given, much is expected. But he didn't live under uh, expectation to please people or to impress people. He simply said, this is my identity. What does Jesus want to do in me? What does he want to do through me? What will my role look like as I follow his lead? That's the question that every one of us asks ourselves regarding this purpose. Persevering for what? Developing character and capacity for what? to do the things that God has created us and saved us and is saving us to do. So we want to seize the moment. We want to seize the day. Because this is the only one we have, right? Today is the day that the Lord has made. So our part in God's mission is being our new true selves in Christ, shaped by, by hopefully loving moms and dads and family members and friends, coaches, pastors, teachers, all those guides and mentors that God raises up for us. 
becoming our true selves in Christ. And his love equips us and prepares us to give and serve generously like him. So persevering so that we can give and serve like he does. Jesus said, greater things you will do than these. Not necessarily more impressive. There's nothing more impressive than dying for the sins of the world and rising again from the dead. But we could do the things that Jesus did because we have a clear identity and a clear sense of our role. And we worked that out in the practical, mundane uh, details of life. Marriage, family, parenting, working, serving, giving, as God gives us opportunity, as we see opportunity and seize it in his name. And so we embrace our life as I get to versus I have to. We touched on this last week as well. We embrace our life as I get to love and serve rather than I have to love and serve. Oh, no, i got to love and serve. No, isn't it amazing because the way God has blessed us, I get to give and serve. Not to compare or compete with others, but to simply express who I am in Him. At every age and stage of my life, whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old, we start asking better questions and complain less than when you approach it from I get to versus I have to. No more, why me, Lord? I've done enough. I've given enough. But rather, Lord, what's my assignment today? He might say to you, your assignment today is to be still and know that I am God. Your assignment today is to rest and refresh. Perhaps your assignment today is to try what didn't work yesterday. I think you'll have a better shot at getting it right today. See, this is the creative engagement we have as we walk with God. We're not on that fixed track on the Jungle Book ride at Disneyland. We're, it's open road, cross-country with God. We ask the question, how can I bless others with what, with what you have put in my hands? Even if it's inconvenient, even if it requires uh, sacrifice and suffering. And Lord, I won't disparage it if it's easy and fun either. It all counts for God. And so moving from I have to to I get to changes our attitude. We realize we're not losing something by giving and serving. We're blessing someone. And we learn after the fact primarily it's us. And embracing life as I get to versus I have to changes our behavior too. Attitude and behavior. Behavior follows attitude. Attitude supports behavior. So we see Paul writing to the Corinthians. We touched on this last week. Dear brothers and sisters, be unwavering in goodness. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It all counts. Uh, the kids uh, in Sunday school today at your house, <laughs> wherever you're, you're, you're convening Sunday school today, uh, that beautiful lesson that Connie and Olivia have put together. Uh, I think one of the verses is Galatians 8, 9. Keep doing what you're doing because you're going to get a harvest. Stay at it. Good things will come. None of it is in vain. None of it goes to waste. All of it matters and counts in God's kingdom. But what is this work of the Lord? Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. It's everything God does to redeem the world he created and loves. So when you read the Bible, you say, oh my gosh, this is what God has been doing. This is the work of God. All those interactions between God and people. All those good times and bad times. All of that. You see God at work. 
And then what is your labor in the Lord? If it says, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, what is that? Well, it's everything God commands us to do in our responsibilities and in our commitments. We see this throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God raising up prophets, priests, pastors, teachers, guides, mentors, who are saying, hey, this is what it looks like to be responsible. This is what it looks like to make and keep commitments. And those are defined and described for us. Micah says, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. To love goodness, to practice kindness, to walk humbly with your God. And, and, And so much content we see in both the Old and New Testament for guiding us in our work as part of God's larger work. That includes friendships and work, marriage, parenting, ministry, growth. It's why doing Bible is a core virtue and practice for us. We're not a church that just studies the Bible or reads the Bible. We think reading the Bible and studying the Bible is essential. It's our foundational text, but it doesn't stop there. If you're simply reading it, if you're studying it in Greek and in Hebrew, if you're memorizing, that's fantastic. But where is that going It ultimately is to lead us to doing the Bible. We read it and study it well so that we can do it well. So Romans 15.4 tells us, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And might doesn't mean possibly. It means you will have hope. You're not going to have hope unless you're doing the former. Take those scriptures seriously to to understand what God's work is and what yours is in him. And so it gives us hope. Out of that comes hope. You might suffer. You might have less of everything by giving and serving. But you'll have more hope. You'll have more hope. And hope is what connects us to now and next. We have hope because God is at work in calling us to join him in it. Nobody is left out. This isn't that situation that on the playground some kid is just assigned to a team. Oh, I want him. I want her. We, we, oh, you can have her. Oh, you can have him. No. Everybody is a valued player on this team. And often the people who think, I don't know if I have any value to contribute, they're the ones who are most surprised to see that, yes, God is preparing you, even you. And the people who feel like they have so much value to add because of their giftedness, their status, their stature, whatever, come to find that I can't do anything but for the team. All my great gifts are sort of useless until there's a team to support me in that endeavor. And the team that I then can serve likewise with my gifts. You see the power of this, to build community and to shape community, to build culture and shape culture, to change, change hearts and minds, There's no barriers. There are no natural barriers to this. The only barrier is the hardness of the human heart, both to be this or to receive this. So in adversity, in prosperity, we can join God in his work. Both are on ramps to travel with God. If this last couple of months for you has been really hard, see it as an on-ramp. If it's been really easy, see it as an on-ramp. It's a way to join God in his work. Maybe finally you've come to a place you're saying, I'm willing to trust God. I realize it can all go away immediately without my permission, without warning, or my approval. So you know what? I'm going to trust in God in all things. Whether I think I have something good going on here 
or I think I'll never have anything good going on, I'm going to trust God. So our hope in Christ is why giving and serving makes life better right now. Right now. We do not live a postponed life. We live right now. We give and serve right now. Part of that process, that lifestyle of giving and serving is a lifestyle of rhythm, a rhythm of work and rest. And so we find ways to take a Sabbath, to break up our day. It's not just all work, work, work. God will be so impressed. It's saying, how do I work and how do I rest? How do I pay attention to God? How do I pay attention to the, to the creation that he's, he's allowed me to live in and look around at these beautiful things? If you're so busy working, you can't go walk on the beach. You're too busy working. If you're too busy walking the beach to work, uh, you're too busy walking the beach. This rhythm of work and rest is what allows us to give and serve in a way that makes life better right now. So giving and serving blesses the giver and the server. We know that. And it honors Jesus. This is, a, this is a perspective that is dropped out in our culture. Our culture has said, okay, I love this idea of serving and giving. Our culture is so righteous in such a secular way. And the virtue that we see signaled daily in the media and, and from people who say, I don't really need God to be righteous. You know, you don't need God to be righteous. Yeah, no kidding. God created us with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want to practice it. But to dismiss God for it, from it is, is to miss the whole point. So what? Because apart from God, we can do nothing that lasts. And that's why we say, does this honor God? Does this glorify God? Does this serve God's purposes? Yeah, but it's good anyway. Just do it. I know it's good. It's the right thing. But in what way will we be doing this right thing and this good thing that will honor God and serve God's purposes? We leave that out of the equation, and pretty soon we don't want to do what's good unless it fits our purposes. And we move away from that I get to, to, hmm, I don't really have to, but if I do, it'll be about me. The downward spiral. The, 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 the downward spiral that leads to despair and to death itself. So we get to be his answer to someone's need. We get to embody and bear witness to the hope Jesus brings. We get to participate in ushering in the new creation in Christ. It's about him, and thank God that includes us. It's about him, and it includes us. If we forget that it's about him, uh, it gets ugly quickly. It, it gets empty quickly. People are inconvenient. People are in the way. People will not matter. And so as we read last week, we discover that we are richly blessed to do the things that God is calling us to do. And as much as we want to make a case that I'm too busy, I'm too poor, I'm too this, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too weak, I'm too whatever, I'm too big, I'm too important, or I'm not, I'm not, I have no significance, I'm not very important. As we read last week, we discover we're richly blessed people. 1 Timothy 6 tells us this, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with us with everything for our enjoyment. The reason we do good is it may, and serve is it makes life better right now. We learn to enjoy the things that bring joy to God and that bring joy to other people. 
That's why it's a get to, not a have to. Because at the end of the day, we say, you know what, I'm really tired. That was a long day, or gee, that cost me a lot of time, talent, treasure, but you know what? Oh man, I have an incredible sense of peace and joy in my heart. I have a deep satisfaction that money cannot buy. So command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Uh, Mark Metherill died too soon. But he'd already taken hold of the life that is truly life. He'd already resolved that question, where is my life? It's in Christ. And as long as I'm in Christ, I'll live uh, every day for him. And yes, I will bless everybody in my, in my world every day that I can because of him in me. So this is Paul talking to Timothy. Where did Paul get this idea? Uh, where did this come from? We assume that everybody just wants to do good things. Uh, not necessarily the case. Where did Paul get this idea? It was embedded in God's covenant with Israel, woven into God's relationship with Israel, calling Abraham, building a nation called Israel, giving them a kingdom, promising to save the world through them. All of this is embedded in the covenant. It was personified in Jesus, the Messiah of God. What did he say? I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to be the good shepherd to save you from the wolves that would destroy you. Uh, it's given to us to proclaim, teach, and demonstrate as our hope in Christ. You see, that's where this comes from. So this word to Timothy from Paul has a rich context, a very large framework. It's from the very heart of God, given through a person, through a people, to people. And the, that's our legacy. In fact, Paul... Uh, uh, on his way toward what would be the end of his life, uh, pauses to meet with some people he spent a lot of time with. And he's pouring out his heart to them, and they're weeping, and they're hugging, and they're saying goodbye, because he says, I don't think we'll see each other again. But remember what Jesus told us. It's better to give than to receive. You see this in Acts 20, 35. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. That's Paul's summary of Jesus' teaching regarding giving and serving. He brings it down to one sentence. You know, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. It's great to receive. It's great to be served. Can't take anything away from that. Thank God for those people who give to us generously and serve us well. What a gift that is. And yet at the end of the day, Jesus himself, God in the flesh, said, you know, it's, it, it, it's better to give than to receive. Better to serve than to be served. Not as in a ranking, but it's in a sense of privilege. That's Paul's summary of Jesus' teaching. Let me give you two examples of his teaching, of Jesus' teaching regarding giving and serving. Uh, first is the parable of the talents uh, that uh, Nate Imamoto is going to read, and then I want to make a comment on that, and then uh, Samantha Imamoto is going to read the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now, these are long passages. These were stories that Jesus told. So listen carefully as they read this story that Jesus told to the people around him. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. God's kingdom is like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one he gave $5,000, to another 2000 to a third one 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left right off the first servant 
went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second one did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the three servants came back and settled up with him. The one given five thousand dollars showed him how he had doubled his investment. The master commended, Good work. You did your job well. From now on, you will be my partner. The second with two thousand showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. The master commended him, Good work. You have done your job well. From now on, be my partner. A servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding spot, a good hiding place to secure your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. This is a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew, if you knew I was after the best, why did you do the... That less than the least. The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with bankers, or at least would have earned some interest. Take the thousand and give it to, give it to the one who risked the most, and get out of this play it safe. Who won't go out on a limb? Throw it, throw at him out into utter darkness. Wow, thank you, Nate. I think he might have memorized that. Well, maybe he was reading it. Don't you love what Jesus said? Uh, Come be my partner. Uh, that's out of the message translation, out of the New International Version. It, it says, uh, come share your master's happiness. Jesus is inviting us to be his partner. The sad part about that, that third person who buried what God had entrusted him, what, what the master had entrusted him, is that had he simply said, I don't know what to do with it. I need to ask the other two guys what I should do. That would have been okay. The downside of this was the isolation. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to make a decision and a conclusion that it's just not worth the effort. And I have this idea about the master that's so convoluted and distorted that I think he's such a bad person. Uh, I'm going to avoid any kind of uh, consequence. Well, of course, he invites the consequence. And so the mocking, not really mocking, but the, the I guess it is, you know, the, sarc the sarcastic response from the master saying, oh, and since I am such a bad guy, why don't you just at least do this with the money? We've, we've done this several times as a church. We've distributed uh, uh, $10,000 in $100 increments to people from 8 to 80. And we gave them this instruction. This is not your money. This is God's. Go do something with this money beyond the walls of this church to bless people and come back in 90 days and tell us what you did and what you learned. Uh, it's the most amazing thing to do this kingdom assignment that a, a wonderful pastor up in Orange County, Denny Balesi, came up with years ago. But, you know, every time we've done that, there's a handful of people toward the end of that 90-day period who will call me and say, I just don't know what to do. How can you not know what to do with 100 bucks? Give it away. Walk up to somebody you don't know and say, here's 100 bucks. I hope you have a great day. I mean, you can do that. God is calling us to invest ourselves with him and in him and then for him. You're not alone as you give and you serve. I want to have uh, Samantha read this next passage for you. Matthews 25, 31-46. through 46. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all of his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort, out, sort the people out. Much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats. 
putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you who are blessed by my father. Take what is coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. You've, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. And I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When, I, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of those things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You, you're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. I was sick and in prison and you never visited. Then those ghosts are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those ghosts will be herded in to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Uh, that was also from the message translation. At the end, in the NIV, it says this, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. did for me. So ultimately, when we're giving and serving, we're giving to the Lord. We're serving the Lord. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Uh, it's a little bit um, unnerving to think that each one of us will have a chance to have a face-to-face -face with Jesus. Face-to-face -face with Jesus. I, I hope you already have a face-to-face -face with Jesus every day, that you read a book like the Bible every day, different parts of it in combination every day. Uh, that you pick up Jesus Calling every day. You read another devotional book. That every day you're saying, Lord Jesus, what's my assignment today? What do you want to do in me or through me today? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to address in my life? But we're going to have a sit down with Jesus according to this parable. We'll each have an opportunity to review what we did in terms of giving and serving with the Lord in person. Now imagine this week getting a text from Jesus inviting you to get together. It would be a bit unnerving but it would be a great honor. Jesus saying, listen, I want to get together with you. It, it would read like this. My beloved disciple, my dear friend, I'm grateful for your part in our shared mission. I want to meet with you at your home this week. No social distancing necessary. I'll bring 12 COVID-free people with me, some new in faith, uh, some are leaders, very experienced in faith. I want you to tell them in detail how you give your time, your talent, and your treasure. What's the pattern of your life in giving and serving? I want them to be motivated, inspired, and coached by your story. I assure you it's not about shaming you or shaming them. It's exactly the opposite. It would be a shame if any of my disciples missed their part in blessing others. How would you feel reading that text? It 
It's obviously not an invitation to boast. Well, another great thing about me. But it's not an opportunity to coast. Well, I, that's not really me. You know, That's good for everybody else, but that's not really me. That won't fly, will it? Even if we came to that meeting with Jesus this week and said, Jesus, I'm so embarrassed to say I've not really known what to do. And, and actually, even if I did know at times, I've been too nervous, too scared, too selfish. And so I, I, I want to start fresh. Show me. These people sitting here have nothing to learn from me other than what not to do. And all of a sudden, they'd all lean in and say, man, we're with you, brother. We're with you, sister. We know that feeling. How can we pray for you? How can we encourage you? Jesus would say, wow, this is a breakthrough day for you. I'll show you how to use what I am entrusting to you to bless people in my name. And this is going to give me a great opportunity to bless you every day. Wow. That is what Jesus is offering us. That's what God is giving us. No boasting, no coasting. We have big opportunity to give and serve right now. Are you making room for Jesus in your life to partner with him in his mission? Because very quickly that that phrase, his mission, becomes our mission. I'm on a mission with God. We're on a mission together. And I'm so delighted it includes all these brothers and sisters, some I know, some, some I don't know, but we're all part of this movement of God's spirit in the world, giving and receiving in his name, giving and serving in his name. Wow. Yes, it will require risk and sacrifice. It will cost you something. But you know what? It will be worth it be the best investment you've ever made. It'll be the best gift you've ever given, the best commitment you've ever made, the best promise you've ever kept. Why? Because God himself is making that possible for you. So because we are in Christ, giving and serving makes life better right now. Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me, for my brothers and sisters, that we could understand that you want to make life better right now. I pray that our hands would be wide open to you, our hearts would be open to you, our minds would be open to you, that we would invite you by your Holy Spirit to help us understand your word, to lean into it, to commit ourselves to it, to listen to brothers and sisters who have uh, been there before us, to be willing to reach out to those brothers and sisters who are new, uh, in faith and encourage them as they appropriate these things that might be obvious and easy for us. I pray, Lord, that this would not only be true for us as individuals and couples, families, uh, but as a congregation, as a community built around you, and that we would be part of a movement of your spirit in this, in this community. Many other churches, many other movements of your spirit, uh, all serving and giving in your name, across this state, across the country, around the world. This is our prayer, Lord, that we would be the kind of citizens that add value, the kind of husbands and wives that add value, the kind of children and partners and friends and employees and employers, leaders that would add value simply because we're learning to give and serve like you do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, in a moment, you're going to see a couple slides. Uh, we're going to have some worship music. Uh, I want to tell you, though, there's been a lot of, uh, because of the news this week about uh, who knew churches were so essential all of a sudden. Uh, we've had a hint al along that line for a while now, um, but it's official. And so uh, you've, you've received, as of today, if you're on our mailing list, you've received an email, a text, perhaps uh, 
setting you up uh, to reflect on where we're going and how we're going to get there. Uh, I can't give you a start date for when we're going to be gathering together in person. It's a lot uh, more complicated, complicated than it would seem. It should be easy. Let's just get together. Uh, but as you'll see in, in the email that I'm sending you, uh, it's a bit more complicated. But we're on it. We've already been thinking about it, uh, preparing for it, and working now through the nuances of the timing on that. So uh, read that, and, and, and uh, we ask you to be praying, and, and so we appreciate it if you do that. Well, let's uh, continue uh, worshiping the Lord uh, as we uh, get some uh, information that will be helpful to us and as uh, we uh, participate in some worship music. Thanks. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and reflect his love on you, that you would reflect his love now and forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Open up my eyes 